This is just a quick trigger warning. Uh, there's a section of this episode early on where we discuss a couple of real world terrorist attacks. Um, we don't go into too much detail with it, but I've put time codes in the description if people want to skip that. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another interior analysis. I'm David Jones, and I'm here with the usual suspects. Introduce Good yourself. evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Sorry, did I jump in too early? <laughs> <laughs> I think perfect. I think I cut you off a little there. No, just go, oh, Evan. You're doing the voice. That, that was all I was going to do. Oh, you you didn't even say your name. You got it. I'm right. I'm not saying my name. I'm Evan Westman. I'm not saying that in the Joker voice. <laughs> And this is, wait, no, that's David. David, go ahead. Yep, yep, and this is Interior Analysis. Today, that's chaos. We, that's the, that's uh, chaos. Absolute chaos. Today we are talking about, you may have guessed, The Dark Knight, if you saw our last episode on Batman Begins. So this time we looked at the favorite child of the trilogy, the one everyone loves, the one everyone calls the best superhero. Is that still a thing? Do people still say it's the best superhero movie of all time? Since It's number three on the IMDb Top 250 behind The Shawshank Redemption and The Godfather. Oh my god. So I'm going to say it's still, like, I, I wouldn't call it my favorite superhero movie. I'm sure many people have different favorites, but on the whole, yeah, I don't think... Spider-Verse probably has the is the closest in terms of competition. That's where I go. I put my vote to Spider-Verse, but I do it too. is widely said that The Dark Knight is the best and Heath Ledger's Joker is the best and everything. This is the best Nolan Batman movie. It's the best of that whole everything. So we're just going to get into it. We're just going to say what we liked, what we didn't like, what stuck out to us for good and for bad and everything. Does that does anyone's topic one, does anyone want to go first? Does anyone's topic scream out to them? Well, I, well, I wanted to do Let's my... hear Jelani's initial reactions yeah. first. Oh, yeah, initial reaction. Because you've never seen it. Yeah, I don't want to count the one time I saw it when I was, like, 11. I, I don't remember anything from then. I, I knew a couple of spoilers that happened, like Rachel dying and then Harvey Dent being Two-Faced. I could have known that without saying the movie. And then Batman wins in the end. But does he? But does he? I don't know. But yeah, I'll just get into my uh, initial reactions. At first, I was excited. I was like, oh, Scarecrow's back. Oh, he's captured. Okay. Yeah, this is one scene in the movie. <laughs> yep, and he's just smiling, and that's, that's it. I don't even think he has five minutes. But in those five minutes, he does have such a good moment. Like, when they're shooting guns, and he's like, that's not him. And then the car goes through, and he goes, that's more like it. Like, even as a kid now, that's still one of my favorite moments, because I just love... When you can see characters' growth chartered either in a different season or a different film or even a different episode, and they kind of are able to refer back to like the quote unquote lore of the world. Like we saw that happen and now we're able to relish in with them. So I love shit like that. And then he lands on his van that, and that should have killed him, but it didn't because movie. The I own the place will never get old. I started cracking up when he was just like, let's see if we can put two tables together and harvey was like i don't know if they allow that here he's like oh they should i own the place it's just like god every time every time and i wondered is that supposed to is he just owning another place or is that supposed to be the place he bought in batman begins i've always wondered that too it looks like it could be the same they all the fancy places look the same to me so maybe i don't know 
Michael Jai White is in this. I like Michael Jai White as an actor and fighter. Shoutouts to his movie Blood and Bone, which I've seen at least 30 times. That's on Netflix now, by the way. Michael Jai White was the, uh, I think, Gamble was his name. Casey Oh, okay. Yeah. The second intro scene with Joker in the room full of crime bosses was just, just fantastic. Just everything he said and did in that scene was just the best. I think that's one of my favorite scenes from this movie. And then Michael Jaiwai was just like, you think you can steal from us and just walk away? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that I line to go always back. makes me laugh. His delivery <laughs> on that is so good. It's like, yeah, like, what? I just wanted a second cookie from the jar. <laughs> yeah, I had to go back a couple of times. I, I was laughing so hard at that. And I was like, how does Gordon come back? I know he ain't dead. And then he came back. Bruce really kissed Harvey's girl. When he kissed Rachel, I was just like, oh, that's grimy. Oh, and then she's dead. That's okay. The bike coming out of the tumbler. I didn't know that going into this. So that was fire to see. The bike is the coolest thing ever. Yeah, I was like, where does, where does the bike come from? And then like you hear a bunch of whirring and then reactions from the extras. And then it comes out of the tumbler. I was like, oh, shit. And then he does all the crazy stuff. And then he's riding through the what is it a mall or something i was like oh this looks so clean then when the bike like goes against the wall and then flips around that is my favorite shot oh my god so that was crazy i i I won't make this too long i watched this my roommate had never seen it and earlier this year me and her and her boyfriend watched it together We, we we did begins one night and then dark night the next and when we got to that part, we replayed because there's like 10 perfect seconds in this movie where you have the, the truck flips and then he does the thing on the wall. And we were like, that's too good. We went and replayed it again. It was like, that's too good. And I was also wondering, why are they cutting back to the passenger of the convoy in Harvey's uh, convoy truck so damn much? That guy was just talking a whole lot. And I was like, what? And then I realized that the driver was Gordon after but then like why did that guy get so many lines he must have known like a producer or somebody he got a lot to say he's like chris's friend he's like yeah i was on second put him on yeah and then the last note i made before i just watched the movie without making notes i noticed the akira slide and hit me scene that's referenced in i think a lot more movies than we think i think it was also a note akira slide well is it i only just like very recently learned that was a thing at all are we sure that's a always a reference or is it just a thing that you can do on a motorcycle that happens to happen in a lot of action movies i guess it's a fine line but i think it's always the way it's shot the way you can tell i don't know if nolan is a an akira fan or an anime fan at at all well some of the stuff in this is pretty anime like the bike he's an anime fan Okay. Is that confirmed? I've never heard him say that. Yeah, because this one Inception and he is based off that one really famous. Oh, Paprika? Anime. Yeah. Yeah. I should see that. I this is that is not the first time I've heard that and I have never gotten around to seeing Paprika. I actually just learned that from I had to go back for one of my films for um ADR and the guy that's in charge of that project was just we had like a quote unquote lunch break. And he was just going off about Paprika and the comparisons to Inception and all that. Um, so I just learned that. Yeah, so I think it was 
Because it, it's the way it's it's the way the shot is always framed when the bike is uh, sliding. So it's like the bike is in the middle and then turns, and it's also always like the front wheel of the bike is on the uh, left every time. I, I don't know. I don't know. You you gotta look at the shot. If you just look at the shot, you'll you'll be able to tell. I, I think it was a reference. I've seen the shot that you're talking about. But yeah, this movie was fire. Definitely. I'm. I mean, I agree with everybody. I'm. Nowhere near disappointed in any of this. I agree with what everybody's been saying for years about this movie. Definitely better than the first and Ledger's performance. Just if the movie wasn't bad by any means without him, but well, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't know if I could say that. I don't think anybody would know if it was good or bad without him. But his performance definitely elevated the movie. I'll say that. I was glued to the screen every time he was talking. It's just like this man is. He's so damn goofy and funny, but intimidating at the same time. He's always doing that lip smack thing. I was like, what the hell is that? What are you doing? It was great. Because this is probably like the, I don't know, maybe 10th time I've seen this movie. I, I watched this a lot in like middle school, early high school. And I, I wish I hadn't. I think I mentioned this last episode, but I wish I had waited to see this because i think being 13 i was just not old enough or film litter enough to really appreciate this and like now that i've seen it so much i have a harder time appreciating new things that i find in it because i just i know it a little too well which is regrettable because a lot of people say this is like far and away the best nolan movie it's insanely acclaimed uh also real quick follow-up on something we were talking about earlier i just checked on Letterboxd, Spider-Verse is ranked 14th. The Dark Knight is 15th. So they wow. are neck and neck there. I wish I kind of appreciated this more because this is probably like still in the lower half of my Nolan rankings. There are several movies that I enjoy more than this from Nolan that I would not defend as better. Tenet is very messy, but I'll enjoy watching it more than this. Another thing that I've recently felt with this is I feel like part of my relationship to it, and I want to hear from you guys if you agree with this, I think the fact that I don't remember 9-11 changes my experience with this because so much of it feels like it's trying to, like, respond to and, like, is just kind of born from that, like, post-9-11 moment. Maybe, like, conversations that were happening around the time, I don't know, I was nine when this came out, so I, I was not tuned into that and didn't see it until years later. I just wonder, like, if the fact that, like, I don't have that cultural memory, like, if that's kind of a prerequisite for fully appreciating this. Why would that make you full, fully appreciate it? I, I don't know. That's something I've, I've just noticed, and I feel like this is a movie where that applies more than most. There was kind of this collective... Because... I was alive when it happened, but I don't remember it. And I feel like there's just a sense that I've gotten from the way people talk about this movie and talk about, like, like people who do remember 9-11, how they talk about this oh, movie and how they... That. Yeah, and how they talk about just the experience of living through it, like, separate of any movie. It feels like they're tapping into the same thing where, like, it can just be something random is targeted and i don't feel that as like a day-to-day -day, like i've never been afraid of that personally but i feel like a lot of people maybe who do remember it maybe not like constantly go around with it but like 
know what that feels like. And it, it feels to me like this movie is tapping into that. So, I don't know. Do you guys, like, uh, I don't imagine either of you remember 9-11 either. A more modern comparison could be shootings, because we all live in the U.S. Which is kind of like the sick, twisted art imitating life of this with everything that happened in Colorado at Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Although, I don't know if, like, I want to point to, like, anything that this movie does as being connected to that. If you have, like, a, a parallel to draw, I'm not necessarily, like, trying to invalidate that. I just don't see I mean, see you're talking personally. about the dark knight's impact via someone's memory of a terrorist attack that, that was a domestic terrorist attack and someone dressed up as the joker to pull it off really and it was a direct sequel to this film yeah i did not know they were dressed as the joker that is the first i've heard of that but okay then that you, that you didn't it. remember he dressed as the joker no yeah, i remember yeah. hearing about it i never remember hearing that he was dressed as the joker yeah Can you explain what happened so it was a theater in colorado i don't know which city or town it was in. Uh, and Aurora, it was, uh, and he shot up the theater. Aurora. Yeah, he didn't just shoot it up. He Hans also Zimmer gassed made, it out. like, a tribute, like, song to it called Aurora. He ruined people dressing up and going to the movies for, like, a good ten years. Like, that's a big reason why when Avengers came out, no one really dressed up. Because people dressed up for Dark Knight Rises. There was people dressed up as Batman. People dressed up as Joker. People were hype. And Heath Ledger had passed, so people really wanted to keep the memory of him alive. And someone dressed up as Joker, and there's no point in saying his name to give him any sort of validation or fame, and I don't even remember his name because he's scum, and he gassed the theater and shot them up with a semi-automatic. And it was really twisted when you saw the trial, because he went full in, like he dyed his hair, painted his face, had a purple suit, and when the trial happened... So many months later, you could see his real hair color coming in and the green hair dye fading, and it was just like... You don't think of that oh, ever, he but it probably was probably like Heath Ledger does in this because he kind of has that. Yeah, and it was dirty, and it was just chilling. It was just so like, oh my god, like this is real. I didn't keep up with any of that, but I do remember hearing when uh, the Joker movie in 2019 came out that they had like extra security at a lot of screenings, and I, I imagine that was probably why because they were afraid of another thing like that happening yeah do you guys think though because i mean like it's fine that we went off on that tangent but do you guys feel like not remembering 9-11 like affects your experience of watching this if not that's fine i've just felt that for me and i think all three of us probably have a similar experience of not remembering it but growing up in like the that time yeah like i have no memory or recollection of 9-11 and when watching this film, I don't even feel like it's harping to it at all. Like, I don't get the undertones or any sort of vibe from it. Like, I'm able to completely get engrossed in that world and escape. But I think if I was somebody who had been a little older and experienced and has more of a consciousness of 9-11 and that shift, then I think it would be harder to watch this film and not have that going in my head just because of that's how it is. And I feel kind of worse for that person, because to me that seems more of a hindrance, because you're not able to fully enjoy the material just as it is. Because I, without that, am able to just go in and see Joker doing his sadistic stuff as Joker doing his sadistic stuff and not feel brought back to that moment or when everything changed. Yeah, or because like, I don't... 
again, this is just me kind of projecting. It feels like it's more tapping into, like, that feeling of fear rather than, like, I don't think there's any... Like, comp- compare this to Man of Steel. Because Man of Steel takes some, like, imagery that is very reminiscent of 9-11 with, like, the skyscrapers and stuff. But I don't feel like it's really tapping into that same, like, emotion the way that this is. I don't think there's any, like, imagery in this movie that is trying to recall anything from 9-11 or anything from real life that I can tell. But I think it is perhaps capturing that feeling. I'm with what David said. Well said. I don't have anything to add to it. But if we're going to get into the topics, I kind of want to randomly just start and just pick Jelani. Because you have the least with this film so i just want to hear what you have to say and what what struck you as like your first or second but like first real time watching what was the topic that you were like okay boom chaos and tragedy i feel like these could have been two separate things but i don't feel like there was enough for both of them separately to warrant their own separate topics slash theme I just think it was a reoccurring. Well, chaos is more on the 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 forefront at at the forefront of uh, one of the big themes of this movie. And tragedy, I, I want to say, is one of the more subtle ones. But we'll start with chaos. I, I think it's crazy how Joker's speech to Harvey in the hospital about chaos being fair turned him because I I don't think I've ever heard that that take on the concept of. I think it's a metaphysical concept uh, of um, of chaos because it's it's random. I always wondered what set Harvey over the edge because again I knew about this movie I just hadn't seen it. Uh, what set Har- Harvey over the edge other than simping Rachel and her dying? And I realized this speech we just about do it. I think I knew that the hospital scene was the turning point for him because he never did kill Joker in that scene, but I didn't know what Joker said to turn him. And keeping on the theme of chaos, Batman arguably thrives, I don't even know if it's arguable, thrives off the chaos Joker advocates, because I don't think it's just Joker, it's just most of his villains are pretty, pretty douchey. That is kind of what a villain's meant to be. (laughs) Yeah. But I agree with you, (laughs) I know I I was saying that a little bit, like, like, didoy, but like, I, I agree, I think Batman's villains, especially in this trilogy, like, yes. They are chaotic in a way that does kind of fuel him. Yeah, he can save people and all of that, like as many people as he wants. But it's not like he's trying to also protect from things like, I don't know, property damage. You know, I know that's the last thing on his mind, because I guess he can just buy whatever was destroyed and fix it. That, that, that's what was on my mind when it came to chaos. And then that's Joker's whole character, dude being an agent of chaos as he said it himself which i always find villains that are just there to cause chaos interesting but not at the same time so i find joker interesting because he's aware of what he's doing his reason for doing so is because there really isn't doesn't need to be a reason if that makes sense but I want to say, looking at it, looking at his character as like an alignment try to definitely be like a chaotic evil type. I don't think chaotic evil is done well all the time, and I think this Joker is a good, good rendition of that that chaotic evil. Other 
mid to low tier versions of chaotic evil are just the mustache twirling types for back lack of be- uh, better term where they're just they're just out to do it and they don't need a reason but they don't say that they don't need a reason they're just like oh i'm bad because i was created to be that way yeah like jafar i feel like is a good counter example where we never get like a back well i guess he's after power so maybe it's not mm. that might not be the best comparison well why is he after but- power though you know yeah i think there's there there might be some disney villains but all the ones i'm thinking of like they do have like a concrete motive of some kind ursula i thought of she her too but to i think she, yeah like there there's some kind of like actual goal they're not just there to be evil well if you watch anime the other another chaotic evil that comes to mind is frieza from dragon ball z I don't think he wants anything. I think he wanted immortality during his Frieza arc, but now he's like the, his self-named arc. Now he's just in the story. I don't even know. He just got a like new form or whatever. He's another interesting example. There, there are good chaotic evils out there, meaning like good takes on a chaotic evil character. And again, I think this Joker is one of them. I'll nominate the version of Moriarty from Sherlock, the BBC show. With is he chaotic evil? I would say yes. I feel like him and the Joker, this Joker, are like two of the most cited villain examples that I've seen. I kind of prefer Moriarty, but again, I think that's partly like when I saw both of those and like where just kind of where I was at in terms of film literacy. Um, But I think they both exhibit like similarly good villain qualities. I think Alfred's speech to Batman in the garage or whatever it was about some some men just can't be reasoned with and they just want to watch the world burn pretty much sums it up. And then tragedy, I think that was the more subtle te- theme in this movie, but I noticed Harvey's entire story is a tragedy from when we see him in the beginning of this movie till his, up until his death. Rachel's death is a tragedy as well because... You know, our protagonist was... I didn't know about the uh, entire sub-thing about him still chasing her and trying to get Harvey on board thinking she was going to leave him. You couldn't get that vibe? You didn't feel that vibe? No. It does seem kind of naive from Bruce's part. Yeah, she like, was going to she was gonna give me a chance or whatever he said to Alfred. I was just like, really, dude? Are you smarter than that? Uh, and here's a counterpoint to Joker's entire thing but i guess it not making sense also proves this point i don't know this is weird joker's chaos is responsible for both of their tragedies and whoever else had tragedies in this movie gordon was close to one with his son but he deems it all fair it was all fair because that's what he does although he specifically targeted harvey and rachel all while quote-unquote not planning or scheming but just again quotes doing even though that defies logic in how intricate his evil plots were but i guess that again that not making sense makes sense for him like for his character i don't know man well that's the thing and like i remember hearing my uncle's debate about this at like every holiday dinner for like three years after this movie came out was like was he actually just random or was everything meticulously planned one uncle thought he was doing it all random and he wanted to watch the world burn 
the other one thought this was a great plan to get at Batman. And they're both could be right. Personally, I like to think he had a little bit of both. I think he kind of went along and kind of rolled with the punches because I feel like he knew he couldn't plan too far ahead. But for I think it's almost like blind to watch this Joker and say this Joker doesn't have a plan. Like this guy, even if it's not like the macro long form plan on a micro level, he always has an escape plan. He always has a way out. He's he never goes into a situation and doesn't feel 100 percent secure with the upper hand and the power and the knowledge. I fully agree with that, David. I was going to say something similar, like I had a note. I think in writing terms, he's a he's a planter, as Jelani calls it. He plans out some things, but he leaves room to improvise a lot um like he knows a couple steps down the line maybe what he'll do but he's like open to doing other things like i think it's easy to to believe that he has planned all of this out perfectly but i don't think it's true and uh, david i agree with you as well i don't think it's fair to say that he's planned none of it clearly he has he has too many things set up and too many people on his payroll to not have planned it out but the biggest example that I think people point to is, oh, he planned to get caught. I don't think that's true. I think he was prepared for if he got caught. I don't think in that scene he planned to be like, oh, because when he's driving the truck, he has no idea Batman's going to do that thing with the cable and flip it. There's no way that he knows that's going to happen. Like he's looking, he has a goal of killing Harvey Dent right there. and He doesn't do it. So he's like, all right, well, I didn't kill Harvey that way. So now plan B, and that's plan B. Like, he was ready for it. And that that kicked off, I wish people, like... I'm not saying I wish it were clearer that he was, like, planting throughout this movie, but I think him getting captured just started this annoying trend over the next several years where a, a whole bunch of action movie villains quote-unquote plan to get captured, like... I can think of, like, five right now. Fast and Furious 6, Avengers, Star Trek Into Darkness, Skyfall for sure. I think Spectre as well might have that. Although I don't remember Spectre very well, so I could be wrong about that. Do any of them do his capture justice? The way he got out was just like, damn, dude. This man is, like, 50 million steps ahead. Well, I don't think he is. I think he has a lot of... Like, I think he has a lot of backups. Because I'm sure he expected to get captured. Like, he's not he's not that great of a brawler. He didn't know if he would have resources, but he just worked with what he had and was like, all right, well, here's a failsafe. He's, he's almost like Tony Stark or like Rick from Rick and Morty, where he's like, he doesn't know what situation he's going to get into, but he's ready for anything. He had the money for resources and then burned it. Well, he didn't have the money at the start of the movie. Like, he doesn't... He doesn't have resources until, like, a good 45 minutes in. Who would want to work for Joker, though? Like, I I love answering that question or whenever somebody asks that question. Out of all of the Gotham villains, Joker is easily, easily the worst one to work for. A lot of the Gotham villains have, like, goons on their payroll. Why would you ever willingly work for this crazy dude? Money and, you know, some people just enjoy beating the shit out of someone. Yeah, but you could do that for... Well, when Two-Face is a crime boss, he wasn't a crime boss in this. Two-Face, Penguin, Freeze sometimes. Who else? Riddler. Joker is 
the least predictable. I, maybe some people love that about him and, I don't know, get off on the high of possibly being killed by their boss at some point. I don't know. Man. Harley Quinn. You think she's one of those people? She's the epitome of that person. He turned her from a psychiatrist doctor, Harleen Quinzel, into his right-hand woman, who is easily the most abused of all of his goons. Yes. So is it a Stockholm Syndrome thing with everyone on Joker's no, payroll? That's what it is. Like, there are some low-level goons there that are just there to do one thing, and like sometimes they just end up dying doing the one thing, the one small thing. It's like, yo, just don't sign on in the first place. I think an answer for for at least part of this movie, because eventually, like that, the first scene with the pencil the pencil kill he's trying to get like the mob's resources to do what he needs to and then i think like half an hour later i forget exactly when it happens but at some point he does end up getting employed by the mob so he gets like i think those aren't necessarily his goons who like he went up to him and was like hey join me for this thing it was like all people who they already worked for the mob so it's not like he had to go out and recruit Although it would have been interesting to see him try. Could you imagine? He just like pops out of an alleyway. We're gonna have tryouts. <laughs> He's so fun though. He's such a fun character in this movie. He is. And his dialogue is above and beyond any other character in this film. Everything he's saying is just like, yeah, man, do you. I want my phone call. Oh, it's so good. I, I couldn't help but shake my head at the... Uh, the dinner party scene, the fundraiser scene. You got fighting you. I like that. Then you're gonna love me. Then you're gonna love me. <laughs> Fun. It's like, all right, man. But the thing with that is, like, I, as you could say that line's cheesy. My thing with that is that nobody in the party reacts what? to Batman being yeah. there until right. That's then. the part about it that's like so camp. It's like, what do you mean? Where He's got was a he? good like thirty feet that he'd have to walk into the room at least, and nobody's like, frame. "Oh shit, it's Batman!" <laughs> or you would have seen him rappel down with a grappling hook. Nobody reacted. You just see his fist enter the frame. Like what? It wasn't dark, so everybody saw. A liberty or two may be taken for optimal. Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a few places that it does that, but I, I think clearly most people don't seem to no, care. No, that's the thing. If you're able to lock it down on everything else, then an audience will give you a little bit of a wink here, or tongue-in-cheek there, in the sense of how certain things play out, if it gives them a sensation they like. Because that's such a crowd-pleasing moment where you're like, oh, God! Like, if you're in the theater, that's like, what? And then the music starts pumping, and you're like, now Batman and Joker have gone face-to-face. It's the first time you see them face-to-face. That's a hype moment. Uh, and also Batman disappearing. Like, he's... I, that's been in the comics for years, but, like, there's no way he's not, like, crawling off somewhere silently when somebody looks away. Well, that's the whole thing. Like, when I saw the new Batman with one of my friends, I guess she had never seen, like, any Batman stuff. And she was like, why is this so, like, weird? And I was like, well, it's, like, super campy. And she's like, yeah, why is that? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, it's called Batman. Like, it's a dude dressed as a bat running around solving crimes. Like, (laughs) nothing about this shouldn't be, like, taken with at least a little bit of a grain of salt and be like, okay, we understand that. We're suspending our disbelief and having a little bit of fun here. 
Well, I even think in the keep... movies they have fun. You can never have a straight, serious, it's no just jokes an absurd concept. Yeah. So you have to. It's just inevitable. Like the entire Riddler character from the Batman movie. That's a different Batman movie. Can you talk about the Dark Knight? But he was the thumb drive. I would have liked to see Chris Nolan do a Riddler. L. You are L. That whole scing where he's like, Are you El Rada Alada? He's like, La Rada Alada. Or when Penguin's going, Ah, oh, come on. What are you showing me? What are you doing? <laughs> I, I love it. It's so good. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Oh, then it comes out the fire. That chase is insane. But back to this Batman. I think tragedy, I'll hop on tragedy really quick. I noticed that the most this time. I've seen this film, I would say at least like 12 times. And I have at least a good like five or six of those times when I've had some film literacy and I could comprehend what was going on a little bit below the surface and some intentions behind the craftspeople who made the film. So like this time around... I noticed some other things, but it really is a tragedy for pretty much every character. Like, nobody really at the end of this movie got what they wanted. And that's a really interesting way to look at a superhero movie and at a Batman film. And also, like, not to go to a different superhero film, but very similar ending in Infinity War. And a lot of people hold that to their favorite Marvel film. So I find it interesting that the audiences are really attracted to that kind of story or where kind of people just lose where it's just everybody's losing do we can we relate are we just a world of losers we Part should take each other's is... lunch money <laughs> <laughs> well that's either a net neutral or a, somebody gets a little bit more money so i don't know i don't know if that works i think part of the appeal with that is just that it's different depending on the genre but like for most superhero movies you're expecting the superhero to win there's some genres where like i go into the movie expecting tragedy like i don't expect a happy ending in a david fincher movie most of the time or titanic you know just from the title you know well well probably not but gonna even go titanic well is like not it's that's still kind of on ends, evan like, who walked into a... titanic in the 90s and thought this is gonna have a good ending I'm not I'm not arguing with that. Like, in terms of expectation, sure, you know the boat's going to sink. You know characters are going to die. But Titanic even kind of goes out on a high note. I will say for the chaos, though, this was one thing I noticed on this watch-through that I don't think you would really notice on even if you watched it, like, two or three times. But having watched it so many times, it kind of weighs down on me that the Joker kind of subsidize not subsidizes just kind of subsides at um explosions like that's where he stops like he's like all right because he blows up the hospital and i was expecting after that there was going to be a bigger what are we going to do and like he's just going to blow up some ships i already saw you blow something up like the blowing up of a hospital was a big escalation from you driving a bus and robbing a bank so i wanted something even bigger Something that could have fell even, like, citywide, the way Riddler kind of floods the city in the 2022 Batman. Just so I could really feel it, but that's the one thing that stuck out this time. I was like, hmm, just another explosion. I didn't mind that we didn't get it, 
because like that speaks to the whole theme like not everyone's going to stoop to your level and be bad and get corrupted because you're bad but like even if we did get it it's just going to be an explosion well one thing that i think is impressive i, I understand what you're saying there because it doesn't feel like the stakes are higher in that scene than they are with the hospital it does feel like there's less of a way out though but one thing that i do find impressive is how the joker makes it feel like the whole city is targeted but he's never targeting the entire city looking at the villains in both of the movies surrounding this one in begins and rises all of gotham is under threat mm -hmm. all of gotham is never under threat in this movie but you have the scene near the end where he's just said like anyone who stays in this city plays by my rules now and everyone's like oh shit and like try it like there's the whole evacuation thing he has created just this persona and fear around himself that's so strong that he he really does have control of the city in a way that like none of the other villains in this series or really like any other movie or like villain does ever i think yeah i agree even to like when you watch his videos and we're just seeing this whatever character they're showing have that reaction i still always felt wow like the whole city is watching this and the whole city is getting plagued by this disease and the other thing with it i think is that he creates situations where he always wins in some way like no matter which option the people choose like even when every single person is evacuated from the hospital and they save Reese, he still wins, basically. He still blows up the hospital and still is causing chaos and, you know, uses the whole thing as a ploy to get in there and... Talk to Dan. That's all he wanted. He wanted his alone time with Harvey to turn him. And even in the scene with Harvey Dent, like, and this is... This is the scene that, that really sold it for me where I was like, okay, he he's not planning this out all the way. He is fully willing to let Harvey Dent kill him in that scene. When the coin flips, I don't think he would have stopped Harvey from shooting him if it had gone tails. I, I agree that he wouldn't stop him, but do you think he would have let him put the gun to his head? Like, do you think that Joker would have put himself in a situation where he really thought that Harvey would have pulled the trigger. Like, I yes. don't believe that Joker would have believed that. I do because of what he says to Batman at the end when he says, Harvey is my ace in the hole. He'd already done what he needed to do with Harvey in that scene. Harvey is going to carry on his legacy after he dies now, and he knows that. It's possible. I think he could have, you know, just said psych and shot Harvey. But I think there's a chance that he wouldn't have. Like, his, his goal is never just, like, both outcomes work for him. He doesn't know whether Batman is going to go after Rachel or Harvey. But in either case, he either kills Harvey Dent or he kills the person closest to Harvey Dent. Either one of those outcomes is ideal for him. So he doesn't lose. That's Same why, with the like, boats. for someone who stacks the cards in his favor so much throughout this film... I find it hard to believe that in that moment he felt like he was, like, really leaving it up to Harvey. Like, I feel like in Joker's mind, the gun was in Harvey's hand, but he was always in control. Like, he knew Harvey wasn't going to do shit. 
He knew he just had to talk sweet to him, and that was no, he doesn't. What was to be. He doesn't know that because Harvey flips the coin, and Joker doesn't know which way that coin is going to land. But no matter which way it lands, he has cre- turned the most incorruptible person in the city into a killer. Exactly. That's why I think he does know that because he already did that. Like he's turned him into a killer. He's already corrupted him and ruined his mind. So like even. If he doesn't know what that coin's gonna land on, I feel like he has the security to know, like, Harvey will never pull the trigger. And if he does pull the trigger, then that he's he's ruined. So, like, he just has that, like, he, he's secure. Like, he never feels, like, a sense of, like, oh, shit, I'm gonna lose. I put myself in this bad position. I, why didn't Joker use his Joker uh, venom? The joke, Joker toxin. They could have connected that. To, uh, that probably wouldn't have complicated things too much, but they could have connected that to Scarecrow. Something, something, fear gas, and then convert that into the Joker Joker toxin that leaves people with a smile on their face. That is one of, like, the few really, like, regrets of this film I have with it is how little Scarecrow is in it, because I really like Scarecrow, and I wish we saw more Scarecrow. I wish Scarecrow mattered in the series, but it's okay. Well, they let him cameo in in the second and third. I think he has, like, once again, he has just one scene in the third movie. But he's not really doing, like, Scarecrow things. Nope. And I thought he had such a good actor and such a cool design and the the world it fit. But, you know, it's fine. It's okay. We don't need Crane. I do like that. Nolan is finally letting Cillian Murphy be the headliner for his next movie. Yeah. Because he's been the second or third tier character in so many of them at this point. Like, he's kind of earned, earned that it. in Nolan's book, at least. I thought it was Killian. Oh, maybe. I thought it was I, Cillian. I I'm it pretty Gillian? sure it's Killian. Anyway, he's fire, and he's definitely earned it. He has definitely done more than enough with Nolan alone to earn that. And then just other work besides his work with Nolan. He's very good. So Yeah, like Inception. That. Yeah, yeah, Inception. The, that that non-Nolan work. What else was he in? 28 Days Later. Dunkirk. Oh, he was blinders. he in Dunkirk? He was in Dunkirk. That's, that might be his smallest Nolan role. I don't remember anybody's name. Well, most of them don't have names or they aren't said. Yeah, that movie feels like a social experiment. Well, speaking of social experiments, I, I actually kind of wanted to ask you, Jelani, what did you think of the boat scene at the end? Because that feels like it could be one of the social experiment movies that you kind of like, <laughs> that little subgenre. That definitely was a social experiment that Joker was having with the whole town. I mean, like, Joker said it was a social experiment himself. Yeah, that was under my defining heroism topic, actually. Do we want to move into that then? Yeah, I only had one note about it, though, because Tommy Tiny Lister Jr., R.I.P., is arguably a hero when he uh, throws the detonator off the boat. I don't remember him doing that, but then once I saw him do it, I was like, oh, he did do that, didn't he? Because I believed him when he was like, give me the detonator, and I'll kill him. I was like, oh, shit, I believe this guy. Do you guys recognize the actor, his cameo, Green Mile? What? He's the guy from Green Mile. I thought that was... Is that not yeah, him? That's, that's, no, Michael, that's Clark Michael Clark Duncan. Duncan. The guy I've never Green seen Mile. Green Mile. Uh, yeah, no, nah, he's Debo from, Debo from Friday, and he was the president of the Fifth, Fifth Element. I've never seen Fifth Element. I have seen Friday, though. Yeah, he's the, the guy that Ice Cube knocks out. Everybody on the boat, they're either heroes or just over-glorified cowards, but the boats didn't blow up, and they were like, you didn't believe in Gotham. <laughs> that was your mistake, jokester. 
I wasn't imitating anybody specific there, but I, I know somebody said that to him. I think it was Batman. What were you trying to prove? I don't to remember anything he I said can't do that anymore. I'm going to get a sore throat. Like, in Batman Begins, the voice isn't fully there, but... Jesus Christ, in Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, I guess his method was, like, cutting off his nostrils, and it just, it sounds like someone speaking without any, like, air in their nose. And, like, seeing how he talks, and it's just, like, constant mouth breathing, I'm like, he really is just breathing and then speaking and breathing and then speaking and allowing no air in his nose to alter his voice. It's terrible. The way he holds his mouth all the time, just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <he does. laughs> I can be that. He's, I can do whatever they want. Where are the detonators? I can do those things. I killed those people. <laughs> killed not me. And the dogs on me. And I'm like, He's bro, just close your mouth. There's a reason it's been parodied as much as it has, yeah. and it's still being parodied. And then after that, you just see him run away. Oh, yeah, that, that shot of him running. He's like, Batman, where is he running to? And it just keeps cutting back to him just running. running. That is just as good as in Scream. I don't know if you guys remember, because I think you guys both only saw it once when we did the episode. But after Sydney talks to Billy, and he's like, see, I was in jail all night. And she was like, I don't know, man. And he's like, why don't you touch me? It's been a year since your mom died. She's like, is your brain leaking? And then, like, runs away and, like, throws her arms up in the air. And she's like, ah! And that's when she, like, runs to the bathroom and that whole sequence happens. That's what I always think of when I watch this. Because those two scenes are just so funny. Where's Batman? Ah! It's the exact same vibe. It's just so goofy. It does look pretty fly when when he rides off on the motorcycle, though. Like, that's a good last shot. Yeah, and Batman 2022. No, I was saying in this movie. Oh, because that also has a final shot. Of yeah, I guess they do the both. They, they do, yeah, they both end. This motorcycle is so much cooler, though. Yeah, it's I freaking not just love like a normal motorcycle. motorcycle. The way it turns, it's so cool. I like how oh. thick the tires are. Yeah. The tires are chunky. They are. Big bullies. That's the thing is, I think the motorcycle really saved this Batmobile for me because I'm not that into the Batmobile because it just looks like like a brick like just like a blob and I, I pretty much like every other batman iterations batmobile over this one but when no, the bike came out dude, in this, this one, batmobile is fire did you like 2022s i forget did you like that yeah battle? i like that one more over this one but evan didn't evan evan loves this one it's a muscle car evan is so and it's got like a giant i'll take literally every single back. one clooney's kilmer's keaton's what's his name adam west all of them i'll take over this like blob but when the bike comes out this bike is fly i love this bike this bike is better than everything else yeah the bike is fire i could watch that thing turn all day when the wheels tumble over each other oh yeah when he came out the building and the wheels were oh i forgot about that (laughs) yeah the sound is so good they they really didn't have that thing turn enough in this movie. It oh it should just it should just always be turning. Anyway, defining heroism. Yeah, yeah this is my topic. I, I think it's one of the most compelling parts of this movie is that it really throws into question what does being heroic and taking like heroic action mean? Because like the the end of this movie is Batman taking the fall and looking like the bad guy 
And I feel like it's the most unambiguously heroic thing that he does in this movie. Because so many other choices that he's faced with, it's like, it's really hard to tell what the right thing to do is. Should he turn himself in as Batman? Because the Joker keeps saying that he's going to keep killing people. So in a way, maybe he's allowing like people to die for him. But in another way, maybe that would be a really bad decision and even really selfish on Bruce's part. Even though heroes don't kill, Batman didn't seem bothered in the slightest that he was directly responsible for killing Harvey by tackling him off the scaffolding. Yeah, I I think maybe he would have that fall under manslaughter. Remember, that was in, his in whole his thing in the first movie, and he's just like, it was. looks down at him and was like, you don't have a reaction to killing, accidentally killing your first villain? Even well, Spider-Man cried. I feel like you may feel differently after the next movie. Possibly. But I think in in reference to his no-kill rule, that is one of the biggest places this comes up. The hit-me scene, when the, the Joker is just there allowing Batman to kill him, it's a no-lose situation for the Joker. He either gets to live and keep doing his chaos thing, or he's corrupted Batman and made him break his one rule. In terms of what Batman should do there, it's like, well... We see what happens because he doesn't kill the Joker. A lot of bad things happen because he doesn't kill the Joker. But at the same time, he would be compromising his moral code and not being the symbol that he wants to be. And, you know, I, I think it's really debatable. You could say that that's selfish and that he should just, you know, suck it up and kill the Joker. I think there's a very strong argument for that. But there's also an argument for the other side that, like, symbolically... He's kind of now been corrupted. And people he, already very think he a... kills, so like what's you know what's one actual kill as opposed to like not, you know? It's a fair point, but I think it, this movie does a really good job of throwing into question what is the heroic thing to do there. But ultimately I think like what the movie postures, if it defines heroism, I think its definition is that being a hero means you're willing to make any personal sacrifice, even if that means looking like the bad guy or feeling like the bad guy or compromising your morals. I think that's kind of what it's saying. What do you guys have on that? The thing I always took away from this film, and like I'm not going to harp on it too hard because it is kind of part of the other topic, and you see it a lot with Dent and Bruce Wayne and just like the whole perspective of what a hero is. Like Constantly, this film is kind of juggling the question of what it means to be a hero and what different heroic facilities could exist in the real world other than like a fantasized batman we see a more realistic approach with a da and everything and the whole conversation at the restaurant which is always quoted with you either live long enough to see yourself become the villain but i think like besides that quote was I think that where that quote originated sorry for interrupting yeah, that is. is. That, I believe is, so. Like, nobody's ever said that before. No, that movie. was this movie. Huh. It's a good quote. Like, I'm not knocking it. Like, this movie, Nolan has a lot of great lines in this film that really sum up a lot of what's going on. But I think the more interesting parts of it aren't, like, those one-liners, but more so what is actually going on. And I think you see that a lot with Dent and Bruce Wayne in that conversation. Bruce Wayne is kind of loving 
Dent loving Batman. Like, he's kind of, like, he's smiling. He's kind of eating it up. He's kind of like, wow, Rachel, like, your boyfriend's a fanboy. Like, how does that feel? He's talking about me. (laughs) Literally. And then you get Dent's point of view, who, like, idolizes Batman, which is a rare point of view, especially from law enforcement. And we see that from last movie, because everyone was vilifying him. So we have someone who, like, really accepts him and is like, it's not Batman's fault. Like, Batman's here to clean up the streets. It's our fault. We have to do better so we don't need a Batman. And then you have Bruce kind of saving face, saying, like, you know, it is a little wacky. Like, let's get him out of here. And then you get to see that whole trajectory kind of play out. And you get to see what happens when Harvey takes the fall for Bruce. Bruce is going to say he's Batman, but Harvey does it first. And I always found it just interesting what this movie kind of showed us, like, what it means to be a hero and your different choices of being a hero. And then there's always also, which is, like, he's usually left out of the conversation, but Gordon. Gordon might be the biggest hero in this movie, like, just taking bullets left and right, doing the right thing, trying to keep up, being there for clutch moments, because, like we said before, Joker wasn't... He was planned. He had a backup for his backup for his backup, but he, he didn't plan for Gordon to be alive. He thought, okay, I'm going to get on top of Batman and do my thing. I got my chance. He didn't plan for Gordon to be alive and put a shotgun to the back of his head. So there's a lot of different moments there that I think Gordon maybe gets forgotten about. But he his heroic impact is like really felt in this movie, I think. And in terms of sacrifice, I think Gordon embodies that as well. He doesn't have to sacrifice quite as much as Batman and Harvey do but he almost does and actually this is you know very minor spoiler but in like one of the first scenes of Dark Knight Rises there's a line that confirms that his wife leaves him somewhere in between the two movies nice. like he's what <laughs> did you say nice yeah good for you bro <laughs> terrible clearing <joke>. house <laughs> I mean it makes sense there would have been a conversation at some point after they got home, when Harvey Dent nearly kills their son, there's going to be some debriefing from that. So Gordon does sacrifice for his actions here. I agree. He probably sacrifices, or almost. If he if he lost the kid, I would say he sacrifices the most, but he sacrifices a lot. He's still putting himself out there to the, to the point that... And it, that, in its own way, proves why batman like it it proves batman right in a way for why he wants to be anonymous because that's exactly what he's looking to avoid is the people he loves coming into the crossfire so in a way i mean it's it's kind of by necessity rather than by choice but gordon is acting as himself with you know people he cares about in his life who are potential targets and he's still doing everything that he's doing and trying to take down the mob and you know putting pressure on powerful people who have no moral scruples who would kill his family to get what they wanted without hesitation there is a bravery there that does i think go overlooked a lot Mm -hmm. and he was shot well was he though or did he just pretend to be i think he was shot i don't I always thought, I don't remember the line, but I always thought there was, like, a little moment where he, like, made a joke. And it was like, oh, like, okay, he definitely got shot, but he was saved. Oh, maybe. I I was never sure. I thought he was dead also the first time, because I had no idea, like, how much of a staple Jim Gordon was to the Batman world. Like, I thought it was possible that he had died. That shot of the first time I saw this. Joker pulling out the thing at the the commissioner's funeral when he tried to 
when, when he's like when he doesn't have that face paint on and you just see the scars and like Heath Ledger's normal mm-hmm. skin on his face, I was like, that looks freaky. He's like glaring at him. It's like that's so cool. Bro. Yeah, I think that's really a testament to his acting though, because like he's disfigured with this makeup and the scarring. But the creepiest part to me is still the look he's giving. Like he's looking like he's about to kill you. And, and even without the makeup. Terrifying. He looks completely different than Heath Ledger has ever looked. Yep. In any I, other movie. I looked up his picture before watching this movie. I was like, that's him? Huh. He's unrecognizable. In simple, we uh, kill the Batman. Have you ever seen 10 Things I Hate About You, Jelani? No. You need to see the scene of him performing with the marching band. Because if you watch that scene, just knowing like that guy in a couple of years, and like 10 years is going to be the Joker... It's something else. And he's palling around with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is in the next movie. Yeah, yeah. A whole universe ahead of its time. Let's move into the last topic, your topic, David. If you guys have any thoughts or opinions on it, I'd be very happy to hear it. But this is more of just like a stream of consciousness. But I've always been so impressed by this film's ability to weave one scene into the next, into the next. And almost, I'm never someone who notices editing or takes it upon themselves to really feel like, oh, that editing was good or whatever. But the editing in this film, and it's nothing spectacular, it's just the choice of the cuts, I feel like also tells the story so well. Like, if you don't know this film and you just watch it, it just is what it is. But if you really watch this film and you see when they chose to put scenes, whether that was because of the script or what they did in post, it feels like it's telling the story and planting the seeds for what's to come. For example, in the beginning, there's Batman's whole, like, you know, we don't want to push you to your limits speech with Michael Caine's Alfred. And he's like, you know... I hope to never see that day when you get pushed to your limits. And then we get a cut and we meet Harvey. So we already subconsciously are at this point where, okay, they're going to kind of be in some sort of conflict with one another. They're going to be in some way connected. And then you literally see him and his work get pushed to his limits as someone pulls a gun on him while he's trying to be an attorney. And then you see this whole speech he has with rachel afterwards and she's like you know trying to like bring his ego down not be so flashy not put himself in danger this way like he kind of does and you get this kind of idea that him and bruce are a little bit more similar than they are different and then that you i love how they just like plot out within the first act kind of like everything that's gonna happen in their own like that whole relationship and their conflicts just with scene placement because then you get Rachel being like, oh, you're going to meet with Jim Gordon? He's a friend of mine. Be nice. So then you're like, okay, now we're going to get another introduction, Harvey, into this world before he meets Bruce. What's the next person he met? Rachel, who's the next, like, line of defense before Bruce? Jim Gordon. So then we get Gordon, and we get Gordon scene, and they have this nice little conversation about trust and his inability to trust the police. And then you kind of also get to finally get a new kind of perspective onto the justice system and this kind of white knight and this guy who's good and they call him that like is that what they say at the mcu so you're already getting okay there's going to be some sort of similarity compare contrast between this guy 
and our Dark Knight, who everybody knows to be Batman. So then the scenes keep going, and the scene we meet uh, Harvey and Bruce with is at that hotel, restaurant, whatever it is. And I love that scene, just setting-wise. I think it's such a smart setting choice, just because it's like telling the whole idea that Harvey kind of is naive and he doesn't know what's going on and he's operating kind of thinking like he does and that's kind of how he goes throughout this whole film and he's always kind of a little bit of a step behind until he becomes Two-Face and he's always trying to like play catch up and I love that they just visually personify that with the setting by like the whole ah can we do that with the tables and then he's like well I own the place so you already the audience is knowing okay hmm does this guy have a real footing for what's going on? I'm not 100% sure. And then my favorite, like, editing choice that they make is after the meeting with Gordon that he has, they have a conversation about, like, Gordon tells him to, like, watch out because you never know what's going to happen. And then we have him meeting Bruce, and Bruce is like, okay, I need you to meet with my friends because if we campaign together you're never gonna have to worry about another set and then cut to the meeting of the mobsters that is our second introduction to joker and we have this contrast of okay that's batman and his friends and what they can do for the city and now we're gonna have joker and his friends and petitioning to see what they can do for the city and i think that's just such a subtle choice that i just love the placement of that so much and then another really good choice is um right after Harvey puts all of the like 18 mobsters or 1800 mobsters, however many mobsters he puts away, the mayor's like, you better watch out because by doing stuff like that, you're going to have people, you're going to be making enemies. And then that's when the hanging Batman comes. And I just love that. Like, if you really don't know what's going to happen or you're not familiar with this film, you can just look at the placement of these scenes and know, okay, now we're at this threshold where the Joker is going to terrorize him and turn him and ruin him. And then once See, he does that's part of why in, I wish I had waited. I missed a lot of this. Uh, um, the contrast you're pointing out between the, the mob scene with the Joker and the dinner scene, like that's a, that's a really cool comparison. And that's another reason I wish I had waited till I was a little older to see this because i feel like not that i necessarily would have seen it but like this kind of stuff you're talking about i feel like would have hit more for me if i were more literate on my first go around with this because so much of this especially the first act of this movie is basically all about batman taking down the mob which all went so far over my head as a 13 year old now i get it and can keep up i don't know if i would necessarily be able to like if i watched this for the first time today i might not be able to track with that quite as well but certainly better than 10 years ago it's too bad but i agree with everything you're saying it is like masterfully subtle filmmaking that i'd never seen until you pointed it out it's really like blows my mind because I, I really don't pay attention to stuff like that and i can't name like that many other films or even another film off the top of my head that like I can really point to like the Godfather obviously has that like iconic opening scene that's like 30 minutes and if you look to like where this the plates are and like the tables you can kind of figure out whose family's going to betray you who but like 
Just the way the dialogue leads into the next scene and by who's on screen, by which character they're showing, the audience can start to insinuate what's going to happen and who's going to turn on who and how bad everything's going to get once Two-Face emerges and Dent's no more. Because once Two-Face emerges and you start to see that happen when i think it's maroney that he's like all right well, i'm just gonna kill him or whatever and then he's like no you can't kill him if you kill him like you're gonna undo everything that you've done and like that was the real time and he like that's when batman catches the coin off screen and then he's like i'm here one of those great nolan reveals yeah. and that was like i think the first time you start to see okay two faces emerging but also as far as knowledge and control, Dent is finally now, because of Two-Face emerging, in the scenes, he is, if not having the upper hand, he's at least now getting equal playing kind of ground. And that's kind of like the crazy tragedy of Harvey Dent to me when I watched it this time was like, the more he caught on and the more he really figured out what was happening, the more evil he became. And it's just so sad. Like, it's just so, so sad. And even to the last shot with them both falling, like, I'm pretty sure Nolan had him, like, not be able to hold on and just fall so he could have that shot of them both landing there because he wanted that visual just, like, final stamp comparison parallel of, like, okay, guys, you if you didn't get it after, like, this two and a half hours, that, this is me telling you this movie's about them, too. And I, I think something I appreciated this time was, like, how good of a team Harvey and Bruce make together because especially i feel like it's it comes up the most with uh lao in the beginning where mm -hmm. harvey is doing everything in his power and doing an amazing job as a lawyer bringing down this guy and connecting him to like everyone in the mob but then as soon as he leaves the country he's like damn it i can't do what i need to do now batman steps up now because he's not he doesn't have those restrictions and i feel a little weird like in how much I'm into that because it like it feels like it's getting into some very weird ethical territory there that Batman can just like do whatever screw international laws and everything like that but in terms of like what this movie is talking about it's like wow these two really are the perfect duo this time I I was appreciating more of how Batman says at a couple points that harvey is kind of his goal like if harvey dent can inspire the rest of the city to you know follow his lead and make the institutions of the city do what they're meant to do then we don't need batman anymore and i appreciated that a lot more this time because I, I think this is one of the first times i've actually been able to track what they're doing in terms of taking down the mob like just how big of a deal it is that he can convict basically every mobster in the city, whereas Batman could never do that. He'd have to punch out all 1,800 dudes one at a time, and Dent can just make this one legal case. And, you know, it's certainly not easy and might take just as long as Batman punching out all of those guys, but it's within the structures of the system, and it's making them stand for what they're meant to granted i kind of wish it was something a little bit different than just putting a bunch of people in jail just because of there's a problem with mass incarceration but that aside i think it's embodying the theme really well 
and mm-hmm. showing like just these two are a perfect combo and perfect mirrors to each other in terms of sometimes to do what what they're defining as justice you need the power of the law in a way that only harvey can bring and sometimes you need to go outside of it in a way that only bruce can do and i'm sure some of that plays into like the combating terrorism themes and ways that i'm not fully comfortable with but it's i mean you you can't deny that it it's all intentional and it all adds up to something yeah i completely agree and i think that's a lot of the, the reason why even if people like love the quote from that scene the reason why i think so many people are drawn to that scene subtextually is because one character not knowing it is saying to the other character this is why like because harvey loves batman and this is why batman's the greatest and then bruce who has the knowledge and knows like well i'm batman is thinking well you know this is why i love harvey and this is why we need harvey and batman's really not that great batman's just a band-aid on a bullet hole and we need somebody who can stitch it up and fix the city and that's what harvey dent's gonna do that's the white knight that we need and then i love seeing kind of as the movie progresses you see that ideology get challenged because sure he can put away all those crime bosses but when you get to that midpoint party and joker comes up on the elevator he's he's helpless he can't do anything yeah. that's when batman has to come in and batman has to save rachel and you start to but see, save okay, harvey first his first instinct yeah. when he knows the joker's showing up is get harvey the hell out of there yeah so much so that joker says later he thinks that the, at least at that point that harvey could have been batman mm-hmm. because his absence and then how he went after her so he he's very aware that like it's almost like a parent like giving his kid like allowance like she wants harvey to have the city and i know that a hundred percent but at least at the current status of the city he knows like he still has to be big papa wayne and take care of everything and oversee it and make sure everyone's safe and i liked seeing how that kind of played out even if it did eventually lead to harvey's kind of creation of two-face Mm-hmm. which is very sad i do think prior to that reveal or not reveal the uh the twist with harvey becoming two-faced i do believe that he is the best of the three of them i agree too i didn't used to buy that line especially because the first time i saw this movie it took me a really long time to trust harvey i was sus of him basically until after until they captured the joker like that was the first point in the movie where i was like oh maybe he's actually a good guy and again i think a lot of that was because i didn't really get all the like legal stuff that he was doing i i couldn't track it and the whole thing with like him because i think one of the first scenes you see with him he's arguing with gordon and we already like gordon from the last movie so i was like oh he might be like kind of a source of antagonism but now that i actually know what they're talking about in that scene it it makes sense and i i get his concern so they do set it up that way and there's also like because i had i knew preconceived notion when i saw that film because i was such a batman comic fan that harvey dent became two-faced so i already didn't trust him i was like no plus he was a white dude so i didn't trust him for that so i was like no this is two strikes and then like you're saying this first second scene with harvey 
is him and Gordon in the office, and he's a little snarky to him and everything. And then the third scene with Harvey is Harvey and Gordon on the rooftop, and that's the first scene Harvey has with Batman. And they're still arguing. And that's when they're really arguing, and they have, like, that's when Gordon, or not, that's when Nolan starts to foreshadow and hint the 360 shot. He, do, he does it with them, but he does it slowly, and he doesn't feel like... He's breaking it, and I love he's that he's not doing the J.J. Abrams like all around the. People. Not at all. And then when we get late, like thirty minutes later, and we get to the Joker with the whole scene with Rachel, he really puts it into high gear, and I'm like, I love that you like hinted at this earlier in a different scene. That's just so good, but yeah, he doesn't have a trusting face. He, he looks yeah, like he's that's definitely to part of it. Anyone and everyone he knows to get what he wants. And he's a show-off. Like, when you meet him, he has that whole, like, if you wanted to kill a public servant, you should buy American. Like, you just got a gun pulled on you and you're given one-liners and dismantling the gun and punching the guy. Like, he's such a... Yeah. And then they clapped. That that was like a Reddit story. And then everyone clapped. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. No. You're not... Your Honor, I'm not done. Shut up. But you're... Yeah, but Your Honor, I'm not done. I think Rachel's the only one who has the right reaction. She rolls her eyes. And I'm like, literally, I'd be scoffing, too. Like, this isn't theater. You're in a courtroom in a fictional movie. Right. Okay, but <laughs> courtrooms in movies are basically theater. Like, yeah. there's been a... I've heard a lot of talks about, like, how it can actually be kind of, kind of a bad thing for, like, real lawyers and judges. Like, how dramatized courtrooms are in movies and tv shows like it, it kind of actually makes their jobs harder to do well did we uh have anything else with this the whole movie morgan freeman shout out morgan freeman he killed that shit lucius fox mm, yeah we didn't bring yeah. up him at all he destroyed that one guy in that one scene with the whole blackmail like that whole sentence is one of my favorite sentences ever he is he is very good in these movies my last point, this doesn't really have anything to do with the movie, but last night I rewatched Vice, the movie about Dick Cheney, and I was thinking it weirdly feels like it could be a good double feature with this movie, because it also stars Christian Bale and is about combating terrorism in some questionable ways. It's on Netflix right now, and I forgot how good it was. Uh, so our next episode, of course, is going to be The Dark Knight Rises, finish out the trilogy, you can check out our YouTube channel. Our video on Spider-Man is up there. It's our newest one. We have our Patreon for $1 a month. We've been trying to do watch-alongs, um, and I just haven't been able to get them up because of technical things. The next person to become a patron will get to pick the movie we talk about for our next Patreon episode, and the next three We'll each get to pick a movie we do for a watch-along. So uh, $1 a month if that interests you. Link is in the description. Yeah, we've got our merch on Zazzle, logo by Kelsey Hendry. Show is on Twitter on INTAnalysis18. I'm on Twitter, and I'll throw it in. I am at Letterboxd as well, both under at Ev underscore Wes. And where are both of you? Instagram, Jelani T. Kelly. Twitter, Jelani T. Kelly. YouTube, I changed the name as well. It should be Jelani T. Kelly there. It is. I saw earlier. Yeah, I'm dropping a new skit soon. David, are you at the top of a burning pile of money? I was going through a different... I thought that. I thought hanging off a building, like how Joker was. I thought being in one of the boats. 
But I'm just gonna settle in being an Alfred Pennyworth bed. Probably one of the safer places in this movie. You can, like, feed me food, bring me drinks, keep me warm. It'd be a bedtime story. You need from me, Master David. Be like everything. I Give can you get you rest. a ruby, the size of a tangerine. All right, bye. <laughs> yep. Next, get ready for Dark Knight Rises and all of the Bane.